Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Dr. Erin Kimmerly digs up bodies. She's carefully picked through mass graves in Kosovo and Croatia to identify victims of war crimes. She did the same thing in Peru, where men, women, and children were executed by the military 40 years ago. She dug up the bones of young boys murdered at a Florida reform school. And this summer, she came to Philadelphia to, what else, dig up bodies. She's so badass. I don't know if you can say that on her podcast, but she's so badass. From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Rickert. Today on the podcast. This is a new world in the crime world. To pull old bones and try and figure out more about the crime that may have happened behind the bones of the person that you may not even know the identity of. This story isn't about a murder, or really, it's not about one murder. So the burial numbers are 250, 522, 530, 550. This is about the rest of them. and 608. What a whole lot of cold cases have in common. That number's are close to 300 unidentified in the city of Philadelphia. You know, you're walking on, on graves. There's no, there's no way to avoid it. Why they don't get solved. We're hoping to, um, that the DNA technology will establish some, some type of uh, identity. And how they could be. Hey, Kristen. Hi. Kristen Johansson, reporter at KYW News Radio. You know her from Gone Cold, from past episodes of Scroll Down. Kristen, tell me about Dr. Erin Kimmerly. She is a forensic anthropologist that focuses on DNA that is old, you could say. Blood sample, saliva sample, or something like that, and trying to figure out pieces of our human history, and now has kind of transcended into the crime world. Florida girl, incredibly smart very, very kind, and just, you get her to start talking about these little, you know, nuances of DNA sequencing, of chemical compounds, and she, it's, you just start her on something, and she just goes and explains everything, can explain something very, very well. She likes digging, right? She does like digging. Well, I think it's actually more about what she needs to find, but... Yes, of course, she likes digging. She likes getting her hands dirty. She's not afraid, and she's, she was in charge that day. She's definitely in charge. It was really hot. Potter's Field in far northeast Philadelphia, kind of on the border from Ben Salem. 
The grass is tall. It's not perfectly cut edged. It's surrounded by woods and brush and bushes. And this field is not perfectly level, perfectly flat. You can feel the depressions as you walk through. There's one tiny entrance that is like a muddy path or dirt path on that day because it was so hot in the middle of summer. Well, it's very humid, yeah. (laughs) It's like this in Florida, too. We usually don't do field work in August. A lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. Um, So your first, your name? Erin Kimmerly, forensic anthropologist, University of South Florida. It was very hard for them to map where, like, the first grave, where they thought the first grave would be was not necessarily exactly where the first grave was because of the way that the ground shifted and moved. How did you choose the, the cases that you choose that you chose mm-hmm. in Potter's Field? The um, medical examiner's office, um, you know, their, their death investigators, they started putting together a list of all the unidentifieds, and then they worked with... AG's office or other, I'm not sure all the, the agencies, but office. yeah, basically local agencies, and they came up with the prioritized list. Potter's Field is a place where the unknown are buried. That's the homeless, that's people that may have died of illness and were never identified. Um, could be children that were found dead in their, or any cold case. It's over decades. It's people from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the 90s. It was the place to put everybody before the health department began to cremate people because it had no more space for these potter's fields. So we did want, you know, open homicides. Um, We tried to find juveniles. We tried to find um, the cases that would have sort of the most potential to try and get them identified. And it was sort of that combination. And then we came out a few weeks ago and did the initial field work, because as you can see, nothing's marked, just to figure out, well, where are the rows? You know, how many's in a row? How, you know, what's the arrangement of the burials? And try to reestablish that so that we could find the specific individuals that we are interested in exhuming. They were trying to exhume the bodies of eight people. They ended up exhuming the bodies of seven like could not find this particular grave. The primary one that they wanted, girl in the box. She was a young girl, I believe about five or six years old, who was found um, in the Schuylkill River. Uh, down by um, in Southwest Philadelphia. It was 1962. Was was a um, it was at, the river at that point is tidal water. There was a worker that was working walking along the dock and um, saw, saw a rope, rope floating, floating in the river in the water, and then that rope was attached to a box. And alerted police and the Marine unit who came out pulled up the box and found that there were remains inside that box. Sergeant Kohlmeyer actually has the whole story. Sergeant Robert Kohlmeyer from the Philadelphia Homicide Unit, Special Investigations. We believe is a is a child, a young child, and the child was never identified. And um, there was some some work done back in the 60s with some missing 
children and uh, none of those files matched up. So we're hoping to, uh, to locate the, the remains uh, of that child and um, we, were, we were not successful um, in, our, uh, in our attempts. Sergeant Cole Meyer is a very uh, soft-spoken man, one of the kindest human beings you can meet. He works in the Special Investigations Unit inside Homicide Division. They work on primarily, I'll say, cold cases or cases that are unsolved. We, we dug an additional, um, I think, four graves to try and find her remains just in case there, there was confusion with the record-keeping system back during that time frame and uh, we were unsuccessful. And uh, that's very frustrating because, um, uh, not only because it's the oldest, oldest case, but because of the age of, of the child, you know, potentially you know, anywhere from, from five to 10 years old and, and a female. There are a bunch of seasoned detectives that can sit down, look at a case file, go over it with a fine tooth comb. They'll also take on these very specialized cases where there may be something like a serial killer, if you have a few minors or children or something that have been killed, they would take that over. If you had a string of rapes and murders, they would handle that case. He's the guy that knows all these old cold cases and can kind of pull them from his memory of saying, oh yeah, uh, that one, oh yeah, Chris, that one, we kind of have this person on the list that we're thinking about. You know, looking back uh, during the time frame, uh, there wasn't much in the way of um, media or press attention, so there there was nothing that we could see that was archived that was really helpful. So um, we were hoping to um, to establish some some identity of the child and, uh, and, um, and be able to potentially solve the case. We're at a loss with that particular case. They could not find her body. They're very disappointed about that. There aren't any markers or headstones or anything. There are markers, um, but the marker, some of the markers are gone. A lot of the markers are buried because, you know, when you have heavy rains, even for one summer, you may have the mud and the grass growing over those markers because the ground shifts, the markers shift with them. So there's a lot of variables there that that move around where graves would be. What was the goal of trying to find the girl in the box? The goal was to first identify. I mean, as it is with all the cases, to first identify the person, you know, so you can give the remains back to the family. If they found out maybe who she was, maybe they would be able to try and piece together what happened to her who put her in, in the river. Hopefully DNA is going to help us establish identity to the victims, and then it's going to be old-fashioned uh, detective work going out to talk to people and to family and, and, and do some background on existing reports and maybe dig into the computer a little bit to, to go back that far to see you know, if we can piece together what happened. How did they come up with Philip? Did they tell you? It seemed like the, the, the spearhead of these types of investigations was a retired state trooper, and uh, he was located in the Lehigh Valley area. So um, he, he started the ball rolling, and things lined up, and, uh, and Philadelphia was chosen as the, uh, as the site to uh, finish out this project. Just don't make me sound stupid. I won't. All right, okay. It's 45 <laughs> seconds. 
You know, you've listened to KWW, right? I do. It's like 45 Absolutely. seconds, yeah. but we might end up even doing this like as a podcast. This piece is pretty cool. And there's a lot of parts to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Hey, my first name is uh, Tom. Last name is McAndrew. M-C, capital A-N-D-R-E-W. I was a member of the Pennsylvania State Police uh, for 26 years. I retired in January. The vast majority of my career was in uh, investigations. I was in uh, essentially the homicide unit of the Pennsylvania State Police for almost 20 years. And now I'm a homicide detective in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Tom McAndrew, he particularly started this venture of trying to find old homicide cases that needed to be solved. It started a number of years ago. Uh, I was assigned to uh, unidentified cases, and I recognized how much of an issue this was. There was lack of resources and lack of attention on, on this matter. Number one, cold cases in general, definitely, they are forgotten about. For the most part, they, they really are. The second part of that would be uh, the aspect of cold cases that involve unidentified victims. I mean, you really can't further an unsolved case until you at least know who your victim is to begin with. So as I was seeking help on my investigations, one of the uh, leading people in the United States that was helping to advance this matter was Dr. Aaron Kimmerly from the University of South Florida. You and Tom worked on this together, I guess, Mm -hmm. really, right? Yeah, we, um, well, we got funding through National Institute of Justice. They offered a grant for related to cold case work, and it was specifically for missing unidentified persons. And once she and I got uh, on this interdisciplinary cold case working group, all of our colleagues from other states were telling us that this same matter existed in all of their states as well. It really started as kind of a statewide initiative. And we quickly, though, expanded it to other states because we get cases sent to us from all over the country. Did some work like this, exhumations and stuff in Kentucky and other places. The National Institute of Justice is estimating as many as 40,000 unidentified bodies are across the United States, uh, with very little being done to further these cases. Pennsylvania really sort of came into picture because outside of that grant, we did a lot of casework for Pennsylvania State Police. Dr. Kimberly runs an institute that offers a number of advancements that a lot of areas in the country don't offer. Uh, A lot of universities don't offer it. Uh, Even private laboratories don't offer it. They would send us remains. We look at the skeleton and we do, you know, age of death, sex, ancestry, all that biological profile of who the person is. She will take unidentified decedents. She'll examine them. She'll do a complete anthropological examination. We'll get odontology done with their teeth, Uh, but she'll also do facial reconstructions. She will do isotope analysis. And that's a way to geo-reference where somebody comes from based on elements that are in water and food that we have consumed will tell us, were these victims native to this area? Was this person always from Philadelphia? Did Did they they come to the Philadelphia area after having grown up in another part of the country? Did they come from another country? Like California, Mexico, and so on. That's a fantastic investigative lead. I mean, that's a a huge tool. We had that ongoing casework with the state police, and we're kind of getting towards the end of our grant, and said, you know, do you have anything in the city of Philadelphia, because we'd never really worked there, um, that you'd want to put in on this grant? The Philadelphia ME's office had some very dedicated and devoted investigators that helped go through all the old files and try to assemble a list of how many there actually are in Philadelphia. That numbers are close to 300 unidentified in the city of Philadelphia. Can you just explain mm-hmm. a little bit on this map, like, wh- the numbers and which one you're doing and when? Mm-hmm. So there's seven rows of burials. Um, there's, we think, 125 
plots in each row. Oh, eight, eight, in each row. Right. So that's like 800 people or something, right? Yeah, there should be, the records show that there's 818 buried here. We basically looked at age of the victim. Uh, we wanted to go with children or younger adults first, and we wanted to go with known homicides and, and or anything that had an investigative lead. Uh, that's why two of these cases are actually drowning cases uh, with an investigative lead that maybe the DNA can help push it over the, the top to identify who it is. Another case is a teenager who was stabbed multiple times and chains were put on uh, his legs to weigh him down and he was thrown into uh, a river. Uh, one of the cases is a, a teenager who was shot multiple times. Um, so they're the kind of cases we're trying to do. Unfortunately, back in the 1980s, when financial uh, crisis hit the city of Philadelphia, they, they started, started to cremate, cremate the bodies, uh, victims instead of burying them. A lot of that is because they didn't have room for putting these people in these mass graves anymore. So we can't apply a lot of the modern science to those cases. So that's why we're doing much older cases. We would love to be doing more recent cases, but unfortunately we can't because those victims have been cremated. So there's the unknowns, like John does from the medical examiner system, and then there's unclaimed individuals. Most places will cremate unclaimed, but we urge um, everyone to not cremate the John Doe's because you can see like science has come so far, DNA, everything, um, and that we have you know much better success identifying people today than in the past. So you don't want to just lose them in the system forever, you know, especially cases where there's um, you know criminal activity. I, I think if we were to tell a police officer in the early 1900s that you would be able to pull a genetic profile and possibly link it to somebody else and another family just based on science, they would think that we made up magic. Who knows what they'll be able to do with cremated remains in the future. A lot of times right now when I'm pushing for victims to no longer be cremated and for them to be buried uh, in case what the future holds for all of us, people will always say, well, why don't you, you know, why can't we just take a DNA sample and... Uh, then we can cremate the rest of the body. Well, we don't know what that future is going to hold for us. You know, they didn't. They never thought about... If somebody would have mentioned isotope uh, analysis to any of the investigators that worked these original cases, they, they would have never, ever believed it. You know, for it to get to that point now, it's pretty amazing. Dr. Kimberly says this. She wishes it wasn't happening, but financially, it's what makes the most sense for the city. I mean, it costs a lot to to bury someone. What kind of hope is there that there'll be a renewed focus on trying to crack these older cold cases with unidentified victims? I mean, we've talked about it before, at least with detectives, is that this really affects them. This isn't something that they just, it's not just a case file that sits on their desk. The guys in that unit right now are really upset about not being able to find girl in the box. Um, because it's a, that's someone's child that is a child. They have hope for it, but there's the funding is just not there. And they can hope all they want, and they want to solve every case. I mean, it'd be great if you walked into the homicide unit and there wasn't a file around, but they're filled with files, especially SIU. They would love to clear it away, figure it out, give closure to the family, but we're cash-strapped. We're a cash-strapped city. We're a cash-strapped country. We don't have the money for it. So what's the hope now? Well, we, we're hoping to um, 
that the DNA technology um, will establish some, some type of uh, identity. Ho hopefully, the remains that, uh, that were uncovered, we can put identity on all of the remains. If not, um, you know, we will certainly try hard and, and devote a lot of attention to the ones that we are able to get identity and then find out how they reach their uh, demise. That's our, our job in the homicide unit is, is, to, is to piece that together. We're going to ultimately um, take everything back to our lab for analysis, um, just temporarily take custody of them and do the, what's the biological profiles, that's all the parameters, you know, like I said, age, sex, ancestry, um, any injuries, health, basically everything you can learn about a person from their skeleton, from their biology. And then we take samples for DNA testing, um, usually bone and tooth samples, and we'll send that to the University of North Texas, who does all of the DNA analysis for um, missing and identified persons in this country. And that will get entered into a national database. The packet may be a dead out hit right on to the, this is who, who this person is, or it may be we found some family members and uh, they could be you know, um, twice removed, three, four times removed. We would have to do some detective work and some investigative work, and then we would share that with the, the scientist and see if we can work together um, to come up with a, a, an identity. And this is where it's really important to work with law enforcement because we go through the original case files where um, there may be seen or autopsy photos from, you know, from when the remains were initially found that give us something about hair, clothing, and actually a good source is often the historic newspapers because back in the day they would actually publish information and even photos, like crime scene photos, that like today you would never publish, but they would publish like, you know, somebody shot, they'd publish autopsy photos. Putting all that together then to create a facial reconstruction is great because it's those contextual things right like how you wear your hair and you know did you get up and take a shower that morning or were you you know were you living on the street and maybe you know hadn't had a haircut for months or something like that so we try to incorporate anything like that about about the um, person into the facial and that's how we get the best results we're seeing a lot of progress on the investigative side the Aaron Kimberly's the Tom Andrews what can the rest of us do? Is there something, maybe ordinary people who have had a tragedy like this, maybe murder, touch their lives, is there something that they can do to help in one way or another? The first thing is, if you've had somebody who has gone missing, you need to go and give a DNA sample. You can actually go to your local police department. The missing person side of this, families... Um, are contacted who have missing persons to make sure their DNA is in the system. And one thing we found in doing this now for a couple years um, all over is that when you look back at like the 1960s, 70s, 80s, so many cases of missing persons have fallen through the cracks. And it's just because cases were investigated differently. There wasn't mass computing with national databases. So things would get handwritten in files. Those files are now in basements of archives, you know, all over the country. It's a, it's a national problem. There's a national DNA database that can link unidentified decedents with families of missing persons. Unfortunately, a lot of people do not know about that. Yeah, familial DNA, that can be uploaded into some public databases. That's where we're hoping to find um, some information, whether a match to other family members, contact those family members and see if we can find out who the, the victim was. If there's loved ones out there 
who uh, are missing a person, they haven't seen their relative in 5, 10, 20, 30 years, they can come in, they can come into a police department, they can give a simple non-intrusive mouth swab, it gets sent into the database, and it can possibly link up with an unidentified decedent that is somewhere in the United States. My, kind of my last question with this is, what do you hope happens when you guys are spending, you're digging this up? Well, I, I really, my, my, true, my true hope is, when we were on the, when we were part of this cold case working group, we tried to define what a success in these cold cases would be. And what we collectively came up with was we thought if we can at least bring these cases up to contemporary standards to what we can do today, it's given these victims that have been long forgotten about at least at one shot. That, you know, when they were laying here otherwise, they had no chance. And now we're at least giving them that one opportunity. Anytime there's um, good like media coverage about this type of process, is you get people coming forward to make sure those missing persons records are in the system and updated and we have their DNA. And that's how we've solved cases. When we did one of the cases in Luzerne County, when I was still in the state police, we had a family member of a missing person come to the cemetery and said, I haven't seen my loved one in many, many years. And we got a DNA sample from him, and we solved one of those cases. Somebody might come forward and say, oh, well, my sister's missing from 1978, and then we solve a different case, because we have thousands more. This whole type of effort is really getting anyone who has a long-term missing loved one to make sure that they are in the system. And it's a great time for it, especially like here in Philadelphia, because you have all these agencies working together on this issue and want, you know, wanting to hear from families in that situation. Anytime Dr. Kimberly has done any of her initiatives, uh, she's planning a big art of forensics event down in Tampa. They've always solved a case out of that. Maybe not one of those cases, but on the peripherals, they've always solved a case, meaning it brought attention to the public. Somebody came forward. I'm hoping that the attention may not solve one of these cases, these seven cases, but it's going to solve another case somewhere. So that's my hope. Potter's Field is, it's probably the saddest place I can think of in Philadelphia. I knew as a young police officer, I knew as a young um, student growing up in Northeast Philadelphia that there was a Potter's Field in Philadelphia, but didn't know anything about it and, and to stand there and it wasn't quite what I expected. There's something about it that's very haunting um, to stand in this field above 800 people who are unknown to the rest of the world. You know, you're walking on on graves. There's no there's no way to avoid it. You know, I've always had the habit in the cemetery to walk the aisles, to walk the lanes. Well, this this is a field. It's very peaceful. I mean, I, I stood literally in the middle of the field and recorded for two minutes just because it was so. You know, the crickets were chirping. There was a slight breeze. It's very eerie when standing on that ground and and um, realizing the, um, the, the bodies that, and the remains that are buried beneath, what, what the story could, is, and can we help out, can we be su successful in uh, bringing that story to a, you know, a solid end, you know, give, give the, um, that person identity, give the family uh, a chance to, to know, you know about a loved one. It's not what you think of when you think of a cemetery, you know, with headstones and uh, markers and 
the, the markers are on the ground with a number and the grass has grown over, dirt has covered over, grass has you know, grown over the markers. That's all they have. It's just your number until you're right. identified. Until you're identified. Right. KYW Original Podcasts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.